episode of Deviant Women. I'm Alicia. And I'm Lauren. And we're here today with Justin from the May Day Handmaid's Tale podcast. Hi, Justin. Hello. Hi. How you doing? Good. Great to be back. We're going to talk about Offred. First cab off the mini episode character rank? discussion rank. <laughs> Offred, also known as June in the Handmaid's Tale Hulu version of the story. And so she's the protagonist, obviously, of the novel and of the book. Yep. Who is she then? Well, what we know about her, she is the handmaid at the center of the handmaid's tale, which means she is the woman who has come into the commander's house. It's her job to be the baby making machine for the commander. And in her previous life, in both the TV show and the novel, we get these flashbacks about what her life was like before, where she was some kind of, does she work in the publishing industry? Yes, she just worked for, a, in the book, I thought it was a like a library. In the show, she works for a small publishing company. There you go. So she's involved with books. That's really significant because of the whole relationship with reading and writing, which is significant because women in Gilead are not allowed to read or write. Mm -hmm. um, we also know that she's was in a relationship with Luke. Luke was her love, the father of her child, and that their relationship started via an affair. So... That's another interesting element of her character. Mm. And how are we introduced to her in the show? Like, at what point in her life do we actually meet Offred? So we come into it at the same point as we do in the novel, which is her sort of in the room in the commander's house at that right. beginning okay. of the, the present. Mm -hmm. The Gilead is her present time. Then we learn through flashbacks about her life beforehand. Mm. So very similar to the book in that sense. So let's talk about Offred, I guess, as like a deviant woman. So wh who, who is she as a person? Is she an active agent in rebellion? Is she passive? Is she a good female character, basically? Yeah, right. Well, maybe um, Justin might have some thoughts about that. Yeah. Well, it's very interesting. She definitely evolves as a character. Mm. In the show, she is portrayed very much as independent, as you were saying before. Very much her own woman and doing her own thing. And, you know, job, life, meets Luke kind of by accident, almost. Yeah. So it's not like one of those things where she's like out there seeking somebody out. But she also is not necessarily your rebel who is going to go out there and actively fight and protest and be a rule breaker per se. Mm. And that's a very similar in the novel where we, like we were talking about in our main episode, um, where we get the figure of her mother, who's the kind of activist feminist influence in her life, but Offred herself is a lot more passive in that. She's kind of, you, you assume that she probably has a bit of an, a feminist ideology, but she doesn't actively participate in that in a super obvious way. Mm. She definitely is portrayed as someone who is reaping the benefits of the feminism that has come before her. Yeah. But is not necessarily actively fighting for more or to make sure that it sticks around. Yeah. Very much takes it for granted almost. Yeah. And so in that case then, with that sort of being the way that she works in the world pre-Gilead, how does that sort of position affect how she may or may not rebel 
once we get into the world of Gilead. Once she's in the commander's house, once she's part of this system, is she complicit in the system? Does she try to push it back against Mm. the system? Or how does she find herself functioning within this new world of Gilead? That's interesting because I think that it takes her a little while to properly warm up to it. To warm up to it in what way? What do you mean by okay, warm, to warm up? Okay, to warm up to her ability to rebel. Right. Mm-hmm. So she's... Not to warm up to her um, position To like her position, as, like, oh, I, I guess I'll I really enjoy being this. a baby-making yeah, yeah, machine. No. There's no warming up to that. No. no. <laughs> she's always against it, obviously, as you would be. But it's really other characters her, who spur her to action, I think. she's She doesn't really do it on her own. There's a couple of little things that happen that cause her to think, okay, maybe there is a way out of it. And I think the first significant one is when she finds the Latin inscription in the cupboard, although that does happen a little bit later in the TV show. So in the book, I think this is one of the first things that makes her realise that maybe there are other people like her who Mm. don't want to be here. Maybe there is some kind of resistance, which I was a little bit, I guess, a little bit surprised that they left that so late in the TV show because I think it is quite significant in planting the seed of rebellion for Offred. But nonetheless, there's also, of course, her interactions with Off Glen, which are really important in spurring her on the, oh, actually, maybe there is something that we can do about this. But I still think that she's quite resistant at first. I think she's afraid and as you would be in this situation, I think. I think she evolves the way that anyone who, as we described her character, kind of taking her lifestyle for granted and the rights she has for granted is thrown into that situation. I think she is portrayed the way the average person would be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that it does take you a while to kind of look around and go, okay, this is my situation. How am I going to handle it? Mm. And to kind of feel it out and then decide who are you going to be? And I think... What you see from her is that so many things happen. And it really, like you were saying, not so much even to her. Obviously, terrible things happen to her. But it's more the things that are happening to people she loves. Mm. And that really spurred her on to evolve into that rebellious, you know, resistor, I mm. guess. As you say, within that situation and in that kind of concept of her behaving in the way that real people would behave, perhaps we ourselves would behave in that Having that fear of what will happen, not only to yourself, but what might happen to those you love, those who you don't know where they are, you don't know what's happened to them, and you don't know what power other people hold or wield over, you know, your missing loved ones. So there is that kind of that hesitation. It's not like she's going to be a sort of superhero Mm, Wonder mm. Woman character who's going to be in a position where she can just physically rebel, where she can fight her way out. I mean, it really is an excellent sort of psychological thriller, I suppose, in a way, because we actually have to think about how would a real person negotiate that that space because it's not a superhero story. Yeah. It's not a story where we can have that and kind of rebellion. And this is what I really like about Offred because she can, in some ways, you can see her as being a kind of, not an anti-hero, but she's not particularly heroic, right, yeah. in yeah. her actions, but she is very realistic. Yes. She's a, and a very flawed character as well. I mean, Absolutely. even before Gilead's rise, we do know that she did start her relationship with Luke as the other woman, you know, she was involved in this affair. So that's a not that I'm judging her for that. I think, you know, okay, that's what happened. That's, you know, that's the way that that relationship started. That works differently yeah. for different people. But it's certainly not Atwood trying to present us with a pure heroine. Exactly. She has 
already got a little bit of a morally ambiguous past. And then what she does within the commander's house, the choices that she makes, I think are very, here's a word that I'm going to use. And I use this word very carefully. I have a, this is a very loaded word for me, but I think that she can be seen as being somewhat manipulative. And I do not mean that in a negative way at all. It's in a survivalist way. And it has to do entirely with that psychology of she can't outwardly resist. She has to present herself as the perfect handmaid. You know, she has to look like she is playing by the rules, but in looking like she's playing by the rules, she is then under the surface able to try to manipulate things and turn the wheels. So the way that she interacts with the commander and the way that she's sort of flirty with him, even though it disgusts her. And one scene I really love in the TV show that I think presents this quite well is when he asks for that kiss. Because oh. this is a big one in the book as well. And he's like, I just want to kiss. In the TV show, immediately afterwards, she is just furiously scrubbing her teeth. And so you know that this is something that she has done because she needs to, because she needs to have him on her side but it obviously disgusts her. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's a means of survival, right. the way that she's playing these games. And the, the relationship that she has with Nick as well is really interesting in that sense. Yeah, and there was some, it was interesting, like as the show went on here in the US and we uh, got further along, there was a couple people, and I'm not going to say a lot, but that were kind of concerned about the way her character is portrayed as having to rely on the male characters for mm-hmm. her survival and her to get her out of the situation and whether or not that went against the feminist ethos of the story. And I kind of look at it like you look at it, whereas she, I don't know what other options she has, you know, yeah, yeah. she's put in this situation. The other people are in power over her and she obviously has limited ability to do things due to the way the society is set up. You know, there's men with machine guns and yeah. every, you know, possible conceivable path so it's not like she can just run through with a knife and kill everybody and then leave. yeah exactly you know it's that's not an option so she does have to be manipulative as you were saying uh but for her own good because you have to look like you're playing by the rules correct and this is sorry this is where i come back to my academic self but i do a lot of work with the archetype of the mermaid right and the archetype of the mermaid is a woman and this is particularly seen in victorian era where women were expected to abide by very similar kinds of standards of femininity so outwardly you have to portray yourself as being the angel of the house right which is this perfect pure submissive passive virginal or chaste version of femininity but underneath you've got this you know the swishing monstrous tail that's the only way that women in this position are able to enact any kind of power because you can't outwardly look like you are enacting power because there's no recourse for you to do that. This is is a super, super patriarchal society. She's not able to talk to men in the same way that men can talk to each other. She's not able to outwardly display power. She has to use men. They have to kind of become her voice. So she has to, you know, pull those puppet strings, you know, to get them to do that. She has to work within the confines of the yeah. system that she's thrown into. And that's what she does, I think. Yes, she does it very well. I think you, what you see is kind of her almost exhaust all of those possibilities. And towards the end of the show is kind of when she kind of takes it upon herself and is mm. going to try and figure out to do it her way. Because while she is a excellent <laughs> manipulator, as even the commander acknowledges in later episodes, it doesn't necessarily always work out for her yeah. the way she wants it to. Yeah. And with the limited options of who she can get to help her and how, I think that what really gives rise to the final product of Offred towards the end of the show. Yeah. The final product. The where, final she, product. where she is more like outwardly it. rebellious. Like she is, you know, like we were saying, like in the in the main episode where she does take that 
stand. Correct. Or again, the inner refusal to act and inspires others by that act. So in the show, the commander's played by Joseph Fiennes, yeah, right? Is. Okay. <laughs> so this I find this is a really interesting casting choice because Joseph Fiennes, I mean, I would say he's not an unattractive man, right? Okay. He's, he's no. pretty sexy. Yeah. He's a pretty sexy individual. Now, I'm not suggesting that just because somebody is attractive that means that you should be okay with having unwanted sex with them. I certainly, <laughs> I am most definitely not suggesting that at all. But I do find it a really interesting difference between the novel and also between the 1990 film version where the commander is presented as not necessarily repulsive, not physically repulsive, but certainly as an older sort of character, certainly as somebody that is not particularly physically attractive or or, you know, attractive as a human being either. But I do find it a a very interesting sort of difference that they've made the commander younger and more attractive as a person Mm. in the show. And I wonder, is that just solely that kind of Hollywoodizing, we need to put somebody more attractive in there? Because it's Robert Duvall who plays him in the 1990 version. And I'm I'm not trying to make any horrible comments about Robert Duvall. I mean, he's he's fine. There's nothing wrong with him. But, he's no Joseph Fiennes. But he's no Joseph Fiennes. He's no Joseph Fiennes. So, Justin, what do you think about that sort of decision? What do you think about having Joseph Fiennes playing this particular character? Does it make a difference? Does it change that dynamic? Uh, it does change the dynamic, but there's a couple things here. So one on the podcast, one of our co-hosts, Sarah, brought up a really good point at how she was disappointed by the fact that they made the commander and Serena Joy pretty. Yeah. And that they are, you know, obviously very attractive people. Yeah. And that she had a real issue with that and that it wasn't, you know, the same as the book. So I acknowledge that, but I think it was pretty explicitly explained by the writers and Margaret Atwood when she was talking about how they, the things that they changed and why they changed them. So the way they did that was the reason that they did that, sorry, is that they thought it would present a more interesting conflict for Alfred and Serena Joy to be closer in age. Mm-hmm. And that Serena Joy not being able to have children, assume we presume, although you know that's up for debate as to who the <laughs> problem is in their relationships right. with yeah, having mm-hmm. the children. Uh, but those two being so close in age would present a conflict because that would make it that much more of a punch in the gut that someone who is almost your peer, basically, yeah. is able to have your husband's child and you aren't yeah Yeah. and that was the main reason it definitely changes that power dynamic yes it does and i think obviously there's probably some i'd say it's probably balanced they probably wanted to cast some rather attractive people because that's what hollywood does but also i think from a writing standpoint that that also makes sense so it's not unjustifiable yeah it's interesting i still think that despite the fact that yes joseph finds is definitely more attractive than robert duvall but he still becomes very unattractive yeah like well, he's an attractive man yeah who becomes he, he takes a turn yeah he takes it yeah. skeezy is the word yeah i've been looking for that word for like <laughs> weeks because the best i could come up with i was like he is like goes from you know being kind of the guy that you think might be an ally to turning this corner to being creepy guy at the club slash porn producer who's trying to get yeah, to yeah, right. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I do think it's a really interesting question because I do think that what it does do as well is it does present that idea of just because somebody is physically attractive doesn't mean you should automatically be okay no, with being in that relationship. Being you know, raped by them. You know, that's right. Yeah, everyone. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm not yeah. trying to suggest that, you know, in making him attractive, they make it a more palatable situation to be in, but I do think it's an interesting casting choice. Interesting. 
interesting. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Cool. Cool. Well, there's Offred, who is our flawed, but I think very interesting protagonist. And flawed I, protagonists are, are always are they more always interesting. the best ones. Who always has a really interesting. interesting journey, and I think that she's great. And again, I just want to say that. She is a little bit of a manipulator, but I think that that is a good thing. I want to take away the <laughs> cultural cringe that we have when we call women manipulative, because I think that that's, it's really important to understand why women are forced into these roles. And I think Offred is a really good example of that. 